Can you hear me now? It gets better. Don't get up yet. I want to set the stage here a little bit. When I read something, I like to know who's talking and to whom and something about the setting and the purpose and the activities that were going on. In chapter 6 of Luke, if you'd like to follow on in the, in the Pew Bible, the page is 1020, 1020. And jumping to the 12th verse, which is not part of our, our scripture reference this morning, here's the background. Jesus went up to pray on a mountainside and spent the night in prayer and then met with, apostles, with disciples the next morning and from them chose, from that group, 12 apostles. He named them apostles. And the names are re, uh, given starting in verse 14 through 16. On the heels of that, he went down the mountain with his group of disciples and apostles and met with a large crowd of people and there was healing there were people from a number of places Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre and Sidon and uh, there, was, there were miracles there was healing and on the heels of that we start with verse 20 will you stand please Looking at his disciples, and yet I think addressing the crowd, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Echoes of the, the uh, Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and and we continue. Here's an, an unusual perspective. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil, because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. And this is after all, he says, for that is how their fathers, these people who hate you, treated the prophets. Continuing, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are fed, well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when men, or when all men, speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Love for enemies. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless ho those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. I'll interrupt just a moment. David was talking this morning about, do we build our own plan? Do we depend on God to deliver the incentive to get out of bed in the morning and go about his business? How do we do these things? There's some guidelines right here. 
and they're part of how do you get up, what do you face the day with, and what is your intention as you go through your life. Continuing then, let's pick it up at 29. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So much in this stretch of, of, of scripture, so rich. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now to judging. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The word of the Lord. And may I summarize the last sentence. Choose carefully and use carefully your yardstick. That's the yardstick that will be measuring you. Thank you. you may be seated. Thank you. Thanks, Gail. I only have about five minutes of stuff left because Gail did a pretty good job of covering my... I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm glad he was inspired by this passage. There is a lot in here. And, um, well, stop. A couple of things I have to say before I go on. First of all, we're proud new grandparents. We have another grandson. Our, our three daughters, our, our daughters have been good to us. You know, we had all three, three girls and... And uh, now we have uh, our, our middle daughter's firstborn was a son, and our youngest daughter's firstborn is a son. His name is Josiah, after Josiah Sidney. <laughs> I wasn't always proud of the Sidney part, but anyway, they named him after one of Israel's best, most godly kings. That's why they chose that name. And uh, do we have any Nebraskans here this morning? Okay, well, I wasn't going to mention, uh, I'm not going to mention the fact that Oregon beat him in football yesterday. Then <laughs> I'm not going to go there. 
except for the t- last two weeks when I was gone, um, we, I've been preaching a series entitled Things We Keep On Doing. Because we're kind of in this transitional stage, I believe, as a church. And we're just, we're praying and preparing and seeking God's and, and, and kind of waiting for that time when things really begin to break loose. Are we not? Because we, why not us? It's going to happen. But there are things that while we wait, because waiting isn't just sitting around and twiddling your thumbs and laying on the couch and watching TV or reading a good book, waiting can be an active word too. I mean, think about, we don't call them this anymore, they're servers now in restaurants, but it used to be that they were waiters and waitresses. So when you waited on somebody, you were doing something, right? Yes, you were. And so we're talking about, in this waiting period, what do we do? Things we keep on doing. And the first thing we talked about is we, we pray. We keep on praying. The second thing we talked about was we keep on serving. The third thing we talked about was we keep on showing up. We're here. We're part of the body. We're here to connect and fellowship and worship with each other. And today... The thing we're going to keep on doing is we give. In fact, um, throughout this passage that Gail read today, there are references to giving. All right? I mean, there's a lot. This is rich. This is deep. You could preach a whole series of sermons on this passage of Scripture that was read today. But I want to draw out those those, uh, Scriptures this morning that deal with giving. And this isn't just about you know, here you go, it starts with an attitude. Really, that's what giving is about. It's an attitude. It's a willingness. It's a desire to be obedient. It's an understanding that I really don't own anything. It's all God's. And there was a resounding amen from the congregation. Yeah, it belongs to God. And we're called to be good managers Good stewards of that which He has placed in our care. And, this can be scary or this can be good. We're going to be held, uh, called to account someday for how we dealt with God's stuff. Right? We are. So, um, we're going to focus today on the whole idea of we give. And let me share a quote with you. This is from F.B. Meyer. He said... He is the richest man in the esteem of the world who has gotten the most. You know, the guy that, the guy that dies with the most toys wins, that kind of an attitude. He goes on to say, He is the richest man in the esteem of God who has given the most. John Maxwell said, It is not the duration of life, but our donation to life that counts. So, think about this for a minute. If you stood before God right now, if you, if you died and in the next second you were standing before God, would you say that you've been a con- consumer or a contributor? Was I a consumer or was I a contributor? You know, giving actually has very little to do with assets. It has everything to do with attitude. Let me share a story that, well, it's a story in the scripture, but it's a point in time when Jesus found this teachable moment for the disciples. And this is from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 43. 
And it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. By the way, you know, they didn't have paper money. It was all coin. So it was pretty impressive when a rich guy was... You could hear it. Clink, 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 clink. All this stuff going in the box. Wow, do you see what they just did? Many, uh, Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Attitude. Folks, it had nothing to do with the amount that she gave. It had everything to do with the attitude of her heart and her willingness. And if you look at at this story in, in the other Gospels, you kind of come to the conclusion that this may have been all she had. And yet she was willing to give that. Let me share this story with you. Katie Fisher, 17, entered the Madison County, Ohio Junior Livestock Sale, hoping the lambs she had for sale would get a good price. For months, Katie had been battling cancer. She had endured hospital stays and been through chemotherapy a number of times. Before the lamb went on the block, the auctioneer told the audience about Katie's condition, hoping this introduction would push the price per pound above the average of $2. It did, and then some. The lamb sold for $11.50 a pound. Then the buyer gave it back and suggested the auctioneer sell it again. That started a chain reaction. Families bought it and gave it back. Businesses bought it and gave it back. Katie's mother said, The first sale is the only one I remember. After that, I was crying too hard. They ended up selling the lamb 36 times that day, raising more than $16,000 in the process. That was one valuable lamb. But folks, you know what that story's about? It's about an attitude of generosity. It's about a willingness to give. And that's the attitude that should characterize us as followers of Jesus Christ, should it not? A preacher in a small town in Oklahoma <clears throat> said that early one Monday morning, the only bank in town called all three churches in that community with the same request. Could you bring in Sunday's collection right away? We're out of $1 bills. Ooh. You know, some of the big, biggest givers in life have, in the world's eyes, very few assets. Some of the biggest consumers in life have everything to give. Let me uh, kind of give you a, a, an in brief, the, the Reader's Digest condensed version of, of the passage that, that Gail read for us today. Verses 20, 21, and 22. It talks about the people who are blessed. And those people are the people, it says, with little money, with little food, 
And it would seem to intimate that they have very few friends because Gail pointed this out. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you. Maybe not especially liked by those around them. Those are the people that Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you in verse 20. Blessed are you in verse 21. Blessed are you in verse 22. And then he says, rejoice. Rejoice when this is your situation. Boy, we have trouble doing that, don't we? We would have a tendency to say, woe is me. Wouldn't we? Well, we go from happy and blessed to woe and wretched. In the next verses, 24 through 26, Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well fed now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. That's kind of strange, isn't it? The blessed are the ones that don't have and the ones that do have are the woed. Okay, that's a word. He talks about people who have finances. He talks about people who have food. He talks about people who are well received by the world they live in and maybe even admired and maybe even worshipped a little bit because that's what we have a tendency to do, don't we? In our culture. You know, folks, what God is is saying here is not that He's not anti-possessions and He's not pro-poor. That's not what He's saying What he is, is anti-possessive and pro-giving. Do you know what I mean by anti-possessing? This is, here's what we have and here's how we hang on to it. It's mine. And I work too hard for this and you're not getting any of it. He wants us to be givers. Folks, we, God blesses us in these ways so that we can bless others. Julie mentioned this, uh, I don't know, was it in here? Maybe talked about us. We're like sponges. You know, and we soak up the blessings of God so that He can squeeze us out. He wants us to be givers. And He says in verse 24, if, if this is your situation, if you're rich and well-fed and well-liked and all of these things, you have already received your reward, your comfort. You've already received everything that you will ever have. You've already received your reward. And again, it's not, we're not blanket saying, well, if you've got stuff, you're, you're toast. What we're, we're talking about is an attitude. If you have these things and you're not willing to part with them, to give them up, to share them with others, then you've had your reward. That's it. What you've got is it. So let's, um, Well, first of all, let's ask this question then. How many assets must you have in order to love your enemies? How many assets do you have to have to do good to those who hate you? How many assets do you have to have to bless those who curse you or to pray for those who mistreat you? So let's let's talk for a minute then about Givers, what, what are some truths about givers? Because givers, I think, live on a higher level than other people. You know, Jesus says in, um, in verses 27 through the end of the chapter, he, he, he talks about ways we can live. Gail, and you made a, a good point of this. 
You know, God has a plan for our lives. Here's how we live that out. And we can choose to take the high road or we can choose to take the low road. Unfortunately, it seems there are a lot of people in our world who have chosen to take the low road. So, what what does it mean to be a giver? What, What does it look like? Well, first of all, givers are positive activists in life. Socrates said this, know thyself. Cicero said, control thyself. Jesus said, give thyself. You said this in Sunday school class this morning, Irene. It isn't just about the no's. It's not just about what we don't do. That, that tended to be the focus of the Pharisees. Don't, 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 and don't, and don't, and don't, 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 and don't. And besides that, don't. Really? And unfortunately, that's sometimes the view of people have of us in the church. And we know there are some don'ts, and there's some good reasons for the don'ts. I like to, God made the machine. This is it. Okay? And He knows what works for the machine, and He knows what doesn't work for the machine. It's like when you go down and buy your new car. I was going to name a brand, but we all have our preferences, so I didn't want people shouting out, Ford, Chevy, Toyota. Okay? When you buy a car, you get an owner's manual. And one of the things it tells you is, put unleaded fuel in the tank if you have a gasoline vehicle. Now, you can choose to pour syrup or water okay, in there, but guess what? The car manufacturer knows how that car will work best. And when you choose to do something contrary to what they say, you're going to have problems with your vehicle. Amen? It's the same thing with us. God knows what's best for the vehicle. He laid it out in here. When He said no, there's a good reason. No! Don't put sugar in the gas tank! So it's, but, but again, we know there are the no's, but there are a lot of yeses too, aren't there? There are a lot of yeses. And Christianity is about doing something. Listen, love is an action word in the scripture. It's not just a warm feeling you have. Love moves us to action. And there's a lot of do's because we're called to be a people of love. Right? Right. Give thyself. It's, it's, it's about what we do. It's active. That's, givers are active people. And, and listen, sometimes when we talk about give, we're thinking, ka-ching, dollars, you know. Listen, there's a lot of ways we can give of ourselves, aren't there? Um, Dick, you mentioned in your prayer that your son is down there in, in South Texas helping out. Time, energy, resources, Care. There's a lot of ways we can, we can give. Givers are active. Now, second thing about givers, they do more than expected. I want to read this passage of Scripture because it's always, it's always fascinated me. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-7. through 7. I'm going to, wow, time is flying. I guess I'm having a lot of fun up here today. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. And now, brothers, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given 
the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave us as much as they were able, and here's the phrase that's always fascinated me, and even beyond their ability. What? How do you do that? You know, I wonder, have I ever done that? Have you ever asked, have I ever given beyond my ability to give? You know, I think the... uh, uh, You know, I didn't do a bunch of uh, background research on this, but I'm thinking if these people were in extreme poverty and yet they gave beyond their ability, I think they chose to do without some, so someone else could do with. Doesn't that sound like what they were doing? Wow, what a great attitude. What a generous giving attitude these people have. Entirely on their own, they did this. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. No kidding. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus... Just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel. Now Paul is using the Macedonians as an example to the Corinthians. And he's now encouraging them, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Attitude. So givers do more than expected. The third thing that's true about givers is they give and they ask nothing in return. That's what they do. They just love to give. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great. You know, Jesus didn't say here that if you give, you will have nothing in return. He said, expect nothing in return. Again, it goes back to attitude. I give without expecting. I just give because that's what I love. I give because that's what God has called me to do. I give because I recognize how blessed I am. I give because I realize that I'm just giving God's stuff away. Hey, it's easy to give somebody else's stuff away, isn't it? A lot easier than giving away your stuff. And he says, when you do this, your reward will be great. And again, remember where God looks. It's not what's in this hand necessarily. It's what's in the heart that offered the hand. What's in the hand. Well... Jesus also says, but if you do give with expectation of return, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And folks, let's be honest. There's a higher standard for us as Christ followers, isn't there? There's a higher standard for us. Well, there are three levels of giving. First of all, there's the top, the grace level. See, grace level understands how much we have been graced by God and we are willing to grace others through our generosity and our willingness to give. We ask, God, what do you want to do through me? How can I give? I am going to be a conduit, a river, so that God's resources 
can flow through me to meet the needs of others. That's the top level, the grace level. Then there's the middle level, the grit level. Well, God says I have to, so I guess I will. There you go. It's the grit level. We kind of suck it in and we grit our teeth and, okay, God, what do you want me to do this time? And it's an attitude that says, well, if I have to, if there's no other way, if nobody else will, I guess I will. And then there's the bottom level, the get-even level. And that's where I just say, huh, what, do, what do I want to do this time? On this level, you always want to do unto others as they do unto you. It's the idea of giving, expecting that, hey, if I gave, I'm going to get back. And by the way, there are some preachers out there who preach that message as the gospel. The reason you give is because you'll get it back a hundredfold. It's better than the best investment. So we're always in this mode of, uh, well, if I invest here, what am I going to get back? We're in this trading mode. Not the attitude God wants us to have, is it? See, givers understand, real givers understand the principle of sowing and reaping. Again, Paul's letter, the second letter to Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, you know, Praying it out of our hands. That's not the right attitude. Not, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the, to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Isn't that interesting that God takes this in this passage of Scripture? Paul, uh, you tend to think as you start to, to read this that reaping and sowing has to do with financial resources, but then he brings it down to what's most crucial. What's really important here, what we really need to be interested in and involving our lives in. You will be made rich in every way. Oh, excuse me. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of money. No. Righteousness. Righteousness. You know what song's been going through my head recently? Maybe it's because this is what God wants to do in my life. Holiness, holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I need. Brokenness, brokenness, brokenness is what I long for. Brokenness is what I need. Take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord.
And I think when God has us at that point, these things aren't so hard to do, are they? And the harvest of righteousness will be much more important to us than the stuff of this world. Well, Paul goes on to say, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I love it. He takes it right back to Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's who it's all about. So the principle of sowing and reaping is not, I give you something now, you give me something back later. The principle of sowing and reaping is understanding that God is the source. It's about doing good without seeking the reward. Because reward comes from God. And if if I'm a giver, God will take care of me. Do we believe that? I have a rather lengthy story. Do you want to hear it? Okay. We may not get through this one today. (laughs) He almost didn't see the old lady stranded on the side of the road. But even in the dim light of day, he could see she needed help. So he pulled up in front of her, in front of her Mercedes and got out. His, His Pontiac was still sputtering when he approached her. Even with the smile on his face, she was worried. No one had stopped to help for the last hour or so. Was he going to hurt her? He didn't look safe. He looked poor and hungry. He could see that she was frightened standing out there in the cold. He knew how she felt. It was that chill which only fear can put in you. He said, I'm here to help you, ma'am. Why don't you wait in the car where it's warm? By the way, my name is Brian. Well, all she had was a flat tire, but for an old lady, that was bad enough. Brian crawled under the car looking for a place to put the jack, skinning his knuckles a time or two. Soon he was able to change the tire. But he had to get dirty and his hands hurt. As he was tightening up the lug nuts, she rolled down the window and began to talk to him. She told him that she was from St. Louis and was only just passing through. She couldn't thank him enough for coming to her aid. Brian just smiled as he closed her trunk. She asked him how much she owed him. Any amount would have been all right with her. She, had, she already imagined all the awful things that could have happened had he not stopped. Brian never thought twice about the money. This was not a job to him. This was helping someone in need, and God knows there were plenty who had given him a hand in the past. He had lived his whole life that way, and It never occurred to him to act any other way. He told her that if she really wanted to pay him back, the next time she saw someone who needed help, she could give that person assistance, the assistance they needed. And Brian Brian added, And think of me. He waited until she started her car and drove off. It had been a cold and depressing day, but he felt good as he headed home, disappearing into the twilight. A few miles down the road, the lady saw a small cafe. 
She went in to grab a bite to eat and take the chill off before she made the last leg of her trip home. It was a dingy-looking restaurant. Outside were two old gas pumps. The whole scene was unfamiliar to her. The cash register was like the telephone of out of work, the telephone of a out of work actor that didn't ring much. Her waitress came over and brought a clean towel to wipe her wet hair. She said she had a sweet smile, one that even being on her feet for the whole day couldn't erase. The lady noticed the waitress was nearly eight months pregnant, but she never let the strain and aches change her attitude. The old lady wondered how someone who had so little could be so giving to a stranger. Then she remembered Brian. After the lady finished her meal and the waitress went to get change for her hundred dollar bill, the lady slipped right out the front door. She was gone by the time the waitress came back. The waitress wondered where the lady could be. Then she noticed something written on the napkin under which were four $100 bills. There were tears in her eyes when she read what the lady wrote. You don't owe me anything. I've been there too. Somebody once helped me, helped me out the way I'm helping you. If you really want to pay me back, here's what you do. Do not let this chain of love end with you. Well, there were tables to clear, sugar bowls to fill, and people to serve, but the waitress made it through another day. That night, when she got home from work and climbed into bed, she was thinking about the money and what the lady had written. How could the lady have known how much she and her husband needed it? With the baby due next month, it was going to be hard. She knew how worried her husband was, and as he lay sleeping next to her, she gave him a soft kiss and whispered soft and low, Everything's going to be all right. I love you, Brian. You give, and it will come back to you. Not necessarily in kind. Brian didn't give money. That's what came back to him. We might give money. It might come back to us in another way. Do you know about John D. Rockefeller Sr.? He was a millionaire at 23, a billionaire at 50. He was the richest man in the world. But he was a grabber, not a giver. He was a greedy man. At age 53, he was so eaten up with ulcers that at that point, the doctors gave him only one year to live. He could eat only milk and crackers. Could, he could buy any restaurant he wanted, and all he could eat were milk and crackers. So he took time to examine his life. And he decided to become a giver. And he gave to churches and to hospitals and to medical research. And through that, he got rid of stress and tension and ulcers, and he lived to the age of 97. <laughs> Folks, givers are blessed by God. What kind of blessings? <laughs> what kind of blessings? Well, let's look at a passage of Scripture first of all. It's from Malachi chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to read you from the English Standard Version. And it says this, uh, excuse me, verses um, 7 through 12. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. It says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. 
But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This, you know, it says, I think, the top of your outline, I think it might, uh, I use resources that John Maxwell put together to to build this sermon. And it tells a story about a man who came to him one time in a church he pastored who was quite wealthy and gave large sums of money to the church just by way of tithe. But they made a a change in the church that this gentleman didn't like. So he came to John Maxwell and said, "I'm, I'm going to stop tithing. I'm going to withdraw my tithe. And John said, well, why? And he explained to him the situation. And John said, well, before you go, could I pray with you? And and the man said, yes. And they bowed his head. The man's name was John. And John Maxwell said, Lord God, John has decided to rob you. Whoa, 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 the guy. (laughs) But that's what the scripture says, doesn't it? And if you look through this passage of Scripture, um, it talks about the blessings. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. Ever since the time of your fathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, it says, and I will return to you. What's the blessing of being obedient to God? Closeness, the power of His presence in our lives, sometimes we say, where is God? Well, we pushed Him away by the decisions we've made. So we can experience the blessings, of spiritual blessings, of the power of God's presence in our lives if we are obedient to Him. He says we can potentially experience, in verses 10 and 11, uh, material blessings. Does God provide you material for you materially? Sure he does. I think sometimes in our American point of view, we kind of see material blessings as being above and beyond just supplying our needs, though, don't we? Oh, God, there's this boat that I really want, and if you loved me... Or fill in the blank. Because I know the greatest days in a boat owner's life are the day he buys it and the days he sells it, so... Maybe that's not what you want. But it says God will rebuke the devourer so that your crops flourish and the vines produce grapes and all of those kinds of things. He also promises the blessing of influence. Look at verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed. They'll see what God's doing in your life because of your obedience to Him in this area. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. 
Those are blessings, folks. Again, we kind of go back to those preachers who, who, who seem to think that God's blessings only come in the form of dollar bills or hundred dollar bills or thousand dollar bills or huge investments or big houses or Rolls Royces in the driveway or whatever it may be. And yet, we know that God's blessings come in a variety of forms. Don't they? So, God, we know God will bless us. What's our responsibility? Well, it says, return to me. Do the right thing. Be obedient to, the, to my commandments, the truth of Scripture. Return to me. Listen. The issue of giving, and I'm talking in a, a financial sense, the tithe, the offerings, it's not a financial problem, folks. It's a spiritual problem. Now, um, I, I don't look at anybody's giving records. I do when it's time for like board nominations. I'll go to the treasurer and say, these people have been nominated. Are they faithful givers? That's about as close as I get. But I know some pastors who do. And the reason they do is because of what I just said. The issue of giving in is not just a financial issue, it's a spiritual issue. And as a shepherd of God's people, they feel like that's something they need to be aware of. What else is, so we turn to Him. We, we're obedient to Him. We trust Him. We, we, we give obediently and trust God to provide what we need. That's the whole concept of the first fruits that we've talked about before. Remember, it's been a long, hard winter and the supplies that we put in last fall for the harvest are wearing thin and now this year's crop is coming on. And what do we do with it? We harvest it and give it to God. What? Yeah. Trusting God to meet our needs. And then we test him. What's he say? Try me out. See if I won't be faithful in this area of your life. Just give it a try. And he said, you, here's where you need to bring these things. You need to bring them to the storehouse. Where's the storehouse? Well, where do you get your spiritual food? That's your storehouse. John Maxwell tells this story. In my youth, I had an older friend named Phil. Phil barely made a living. He never had a high-paying job, but he always had something to give those in need. When someone with financial needs came to Phil for help, Phil would always give this advice along with the money they needed. If you would give 10% of your income to God, He would take care of you, and you wouldn't need to ask anyone else for help. I don't know how many accepted his advice, but I heard it so much, I tried it, and it works. A boy and his mother were in a drugstore, and there was candy on the counter, and the owner spotted the boy looking at the candy. And when the mother went up to pay, the owner said to the boy, You want some of this candy? The boy nodded, and the manager said, Well, go ahead and take some. Well, the boy just stood there. And to go, again, the owner said, Well, go ahead and get a handful of candy. The boy still stood there until the owner reached in the jar and pulled out some candy and gave it to the boy and the boy filled his pockets. And when they got outside, the mother said, Why didn't you get a handful of candy when the man told you it was okay? And the boy said, Because his hands are bigger than mine. 
smart kid. He must have been a challenge. So I want to end with this question today. Whose hands do you want to live out of? Something we keep on doing, we give. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you are so incredibly generous with us. You're so faithful in your provision. You meet every need of our lives. And Father, we live in a land of incredible abundance. And sometimes because we do, we have a tendency to take stuff for granted and to think that the things we have are ours and we forget where it all comes from and who it belongs to in the first place. And because of that, we're not always as eager and excited and joyful in our giving as we should be. And Father, I know one of the things that characterizes this church body is an attitude of generosity. And I thank you for that. I'm proud of that, and I hope that's okay. But Father, you know what? When Paul said, I want you to excel in this grace of giving, not that we don't do well already, but Lord God, if there's an area where we need to improve or we need to be more sensitive or we need to be more willing or more generous, then help us to raise the bar in our lives according to what you want us to do. And we know that when we do that, Lord God, you will be faithful to meet our needs. You will bless us, maybe in ways we've never ever thought of before. That as your people, in this time, when we believe we're moving to a day when things will really begin to move around here, when things will break loose, when we'll see transformation of lives, and we'll be effective in our outreach, more effective than we are today in outreach beyond the walls of our church, when we'll see people that will join together with us because they recognize the presence and power of Jesus in our lives and want that for themselves, when we'll be baptizing people as they take that step of, step of commitment and testimony, Lord God, may we in this time as we look forward to that and pray for that and believe for that, may we be faithful to pray. May we be faithful to serve. May we be faithful to show up, to be there, and may we be faithful to give for the honor and glory and the sake of Jesus and the kingdom. And we pray these things in His name. Amen.